0: I was reared in a Christian home, and the, I think the longer I live, the more uh, grateful I am about that. I could have been born in a different home, in a different part of the world, uh, and I realize it is it is a grace that my parents uh, read the Bible to me and to my brother and sister as a kid. We prayed together as a family. Uh, we attended church together as a family, uh, and I remember praying a prayer of invitation uh, with my mom. Um, She was actually driving and uh, my sister and I were in the back seat of the flying Ford, that's what we called it, Uh, this banana yellow custom 500 uh, Ford, four-door sedan uh, from the 70s. The back seat was just a bench, seat belts were optional. Uh, We'd been having a conversation, I guess, about spiritual matters, about those kinds of things. And it just, you know, I guess my mom must have sensed that it was just the right time to uh, lead us in a a prayer of salvation. So my sister Christine and I leaned forward with our elbows uh, on on the front seat of the car. And uh, my mom led us in a a prayer. Uh, It was a simple prayer, really, just... uh, Confessing our need for Christ, asking for forgiveness of God offered through the cross of Christ. And uh, we invited Christ into our hearts and confessed Jesus as Lord. Um, when I was young, I, I mean, I, I was young at that time. I think I was about seven or so. And, and uh, so my parents waited a couple years to uh, before I was baptized uh, when I could be able to kind of reaffirm that decision and own it a bit more. But you know, really, that was all just part of a one continuous process, one continuous growth process. Really, Uh, you know, I guess I was raised in the church, and so even though I had a moment of making a decision, praying a prayer of of faith, and a moment of baptism, really, you know, I see it more as like this long process of of growth. I remember as a kid having some fairly intense times of reading the Bible and and prayer. Uh, Already kind of as an older elementary school kid, I already wanted to become a missionary uh, to Africa, I guess. My mom, you know, can still tell you about this fantasy if you ever meet her and want to t- ask her about it. And I was interested in becoming a missionary and sharing the gospel overseas, but I was also really a fan of Star Wars, so uh, in my elementary school mind, I was trying to find some way to merge those two loves, and I, I think I saw being a missionary as kind of being like Han Solo, you know, discovering some uh, new world, and uh, I don't know, showing up with my laser gun and my Bible, and uh, going to work. Um, <laughs> Somehow that was going to work together. So I maybe should pause here for a moment right away and say, you know, you should really lower your expectations about my own story, my own testimony, my own faith journey. Uh, My story is not one of a a midlife crisis and conversion. I didn't have some kind of awe-inspiring, tear-jerking tale to tell you here. I was never a member of a biker gang or a drug cartel, uh, and then I had some close encounter with death. And then found Jesus. Um, Although I have to say that kind of does remind me of another story about a Sunday service on a river's edge. uh, When the town drunk uh, walked down and into the water and came to the preacher who was standing in the water waist deep performing baptisms. And the minister turned to the old drunk and said, «Mister, are you ready to find Jesus?» And the drunk looked back at him and said, Preacher, I am. So the the minister dunked the fellow under the water and pulled him right back up. Have you found Jesus? Uh, The preacher asked. No, I didn't, the drunk said. So the preacher dunks him under a second time and then pulls him back up. Uh, Now, brother, have you found Jesus? no, I did not, reverend. So the preacher, in a little bit of disgust, holds the man down for about 30 seconds, you know, and then pulls him back up out of the water. My God, son, have you found Jesus? And the old drunk wipes his eyes and asks, well, are you sure this is where he fell in? Uh, You could could see where that one was going. so theologians sometimes describe the process of salvation, describe salvation in, in the big fancy terms of justification and sanctification. Uh, those are Paul, uh, words that Paul uses in the New Testament to describe the process of salvation. Justification means to be made right with God, and sanctification means to be made holy before God. Uh, And although they're describing the same process of transformation, sometimes we tend to think of justification as this instantaneous act of God cleansing us of sin and making us acceptable before his presence. Um, whereas sanctification is this ongoing process of maturity and growth. Uh, I don't think there's such a sharp division between those two concepts in the Bible or in theology as sometimes people will make out. Uh, But I do wonder which describes your experience better. Uh, We see in the Bible sort of examples of both processes. Uh, Think about Jesus calling his first disciples. They're in Matthew chapter 4 Uh, Verses 18 through 20, it says this As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Jesus asked for an immediate decision. And Peter and Andrew dropped their nets and followed him. It's a radical conversion. It's an instantaneous change. But then I also think about uh, David. King David from the Old Testament. He uh, is a different experience, isn't it? Even as a boy, his faith was vibrant and alive. as He, he spent time out attending the sheep and, and singing psalms of praise to God. Uh, we think about that really vivid story of uh, his encounter with Goliath. Um, But even before that, we won't look at that whole story, but um, specifically thinking about that moment when David was brought before King Saul into the tent of King Saul standing there in front of uh, military generals and fighters and men in in uniform and and, uh, combat dress and here's this puny little untrained unequipped shepherd boy standing and to to quote from the text from the contemporary English version I like it there Saul says you don't even have a chance against this Goliath you're only a boy and he's been a soldier his whole life David responds as you may remember from that story by telling King David about uh, times when he fought off a bear and then a lion to defend his sheep and he was firmly convinced that God would also protect him against Goliath. Uh, the, the faith of this young boy just sort of leaps off the page at you. So I guess my question is, you know, is your journey more like Peter and Andrew's or is it more like David's? Uh, do you, can you point to a moment when you dropped your nets and followed Jesus and everything changed? Can you say, you know, I know when and where I was when the Lord found me, when I made that commitment, when my faith journey began. Or maybe a little bit like me and maybe like uh, David, uh, you were reared in the church from an early age. Uh, and so your story is kind of one of sanctification, of just growing in the faith. And, and maybe the faith has always been part of your life um, one way or another. So I've got to, oh, it's gone now. If we can go back to that uh, question a minute. Uh, that was up there a second ago, yeah, um, this is, uh, I should probably tell you now, I-, I wanted this sermon to be a little bit more interactive, if we can, since we you know, this is a, a family of faith, this is Mosaic here, and um, so a couple of points along the way, I, I just want to stop and uh, let you have some conversation about this, uh, maybe for this one, uh, if you could Turn to somebody near you, or maybe two or three of you near you, if you are in a row, or one in front, one, two in the back, something like that. Just turn to one or two people around you, and see if you can just answer this question. Has your journey of faith been a lifelong process of growth in relationship with God, or is it defined by a particular moment of decision, an experience of being lost and being found? Uh, What has your experience been? So just a couple of minutes, um, just talk about that for, for a couple of minutes. I'm gonna grab this, I'm gonna grab that chair if that's okay. Can I grab that chair? Yeah, thanks. So let me uh, pull us back together there. I like there's some good conversations getting, that are getting started there. I don't know how that's going to sound on the podcast. <laughs> it's going to be a big blank time. That's okay. You know, they just, It means they need to show up uh, to, to church. I just want to return to uh, my own narrative here a little bit and and I do want to have another discussion time here in just a second but um, my my own parents divorced when I was 12 and it was definitely a tremendously painful time in my life and kind of the history of our family Um, there were days of tears and and long stretches of sadness throughout that home kind of became a a somber, dim broken place Um, looking back God was faithful in so many ways through that time that, of course, we could not have seen then. And um, in terms of my own spiritual growth and development, I I realized I could have gone either direction. Uh, The pain of the time could have either driven me from God, from the church, from faith, uh, or closer to God and closer to my faith and and into Scripture. Different people respond in different ways. Uh, I, I've never, I don't blame anybody who blames God for what has happened. I realize we've got to process through pain, we've got to process through loss in different ways. And so, you know, I don't blame people when they get mad at God or mad at the church for those kinds of things. It, you know, we, we grieve in different ways. I, my path was different. I, I never did really blame God for what had happened in my, in my home It just wasn't my story. I I was actually drawn closer to God. I leaned even heavier on my faith at that time. And um, I really began to feel this tug of ministry that, you know, I'd said was even there from my elementary days, and so when I was 16, I ended up answering a call to ministry, and you put it in kind of that formal church language, we talk about answering a call to ministry, I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but I basically, I just went forward at the end of a service, and uh, during the invitation time, and and told uh, the youth pastor, Mike Harrison, the Lord was doing with me, what I was feeling. I felt like I need to serve full-time in ministry somehow. I had no idea what that would mean. No one else in my family was in the ministry. Uh, And so, I mean, mean, it sounds dumb now, but I had no idea, like, after high school graduation, do I go, like, straight to seminary, kind of like entering a monastery sort of thing? Do I just... Do I just go start working at a church? I mean, do I even go to college or seminary? I mean, what what was the next step? I had no idea. I got some good advice that no, you, you ought to go to college. So I went to Hardin Simmons University, which is this um, uh, Christian university in, in West Texas. And um, while I was uh, there, I. Uh, I enrolled in a degree program called applied theology, which I always think is kind of funny. Like you've got unapplied theology and then you got applied theology. So you always want to have applied theology, I guess. Um, but I picked up a ad um, and interviewed and was ultimately called to serve as youth and children's minister uh, while I was in college at a l- tiny little church called Lake Fort Phantom Baptist Church, just outside the city limits of Abilene, Texas. Uh, they paid me $25 a week, which was just enough money to pay for gas to drive out there and to drive back. I made nothing off the, off the job. Um, And I was, at that time, driving, uh, as it turns out, the same uh, banana yellow uh, custom 500 yellow Ford that I had got saved in uh, so many years ago, uh, as cars were just kind of handed down through uh, the family like inheritance. you know, my time at Lake Fort Phantom Baptist Church was really definitive for me. It gave me a first-hand taste of ministry, of uh, working with, you know, children and youth and, uh, you know, teaching Bible on a kind of weekly basis to them. And it it really gave me a reassurance that yeah this is the right thing that that was where God wanted me to be that this this was what the Lord was calling and laying upon my heart and, and so I kind of look back at that time even though uh, you know I was just there a couple of years in college and even though they didn't pay me squat and even though it was just a tiny little uh, church uh, that met in a uh, cinder block building uh, you know it, I mean the whole thing all the grounds in the parking lot could have fit inside this gym right here uh, but it was a defining moment for me. And so, uh, and in terms of my faith journey, in terms of my personal development, my vocational choice. So, I guess I am wondering, if we move on to the next question here. Um, what has been a, a defining moment in your own faith? Um, let's see. Let's see. I think it's way maybe one back. go okay, by what? No? No? Okay, well. Yeah, there it is. No? missing one here. Well, I'll just go to a blank one here for a second. I may have, I may have goofed that up in our uh, setting up the PowerPoint here. Um, what I want you to think about for <laughs> just a moment, don't worry about what was up there, is a, a defining moment or two in your own faith journey. And you can think about it in terms of uh, what has been a, a high point in your walk with the Lord or in, in your faith. Or maybe what's been a really low point uh, for you? Uh, So you maybe think about it in terms of high points or low points or maybe just a defining moment, a turning moment. That could be something different than um, that first question about your your conversion, about how you found the Lord. You know, what since then uh, has been sort of defining moments, either high moments or low moments, if that makes sense. So for just a couple of minutes, yeah, just turn to those same folks that you were around a second ago and, and try to see if you can answer that. Sorry, that's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, call us back. And and I know it's a tough one. I, as I think about it, you know, just suddenly to divulge your low point and your high point or something like that. Uh, we don't typically keep those things on index cards as we think about our lives. Um, but, you know, thinking again about that... Um, my experience there at Lake Fort Phantom Baptist Church is you know, a uh, one-room cinder block building uh, that could not have held more than 50 people at a time. Uh, fortunately, overcrowding was never a problem for us. We never, never ran that many. Uh, But I had a chance to practice my applied theology degree uh, by applying it to real life settings to these uh, lives of these kids and their parents uh, that I had to interact with. Uh, The pastor, though, I want to tell you a little bit about him, uh, was a guy named Mike Bradshaw. uh, This little pastor, this uh, tiny little Lake Fork Phantom Church. He was a bivocational minister. That, let's say, he, he had a full time job and then he did this um, kind of on his spare time. Mike was a sweet and gentle man. He always wore a smile. He had no formal education or training in ministry, you know, but he had heart. Um, fruits of the Spirit were evident in his life and the hand of the Lord rested upon him in a powerful way. Mike Bradshaw's gift to the people at Lake Fort Phantom was his presence. Uh, Some preachers that I hear make me think of the fiery Amos, you know, thundering judgment uh, down upon the people. Uh, some preachers I hear make me think of the logic chopping Paul, the saint of the, the New Testament who's, who's thinking theologically. Uh, Mike Bradshaw always reminded me of Barnabas from the Bible. The name Barnabas means uh, son of encouragement. And you may remember Barnabas from the book of Acts, he comes, he has a small role, but it's this linchpin role. It's this hinge role that he plays Uh, because Saul had recently converted to the faith and changed his name from Saul to Paul. He was going to be the greatest missionary and advocate now for the faith. But of course, no one at that time could really know that. Um, all they knew was the, is that this man had persecuted us, had hunted us down, had, uh, had, you know, had arrested us, had argued against us, and so no one wanted to trust Paul. Uh, and with good reason, of course. Barnabas put his, his entire self out on the line and stood up for Paul. And defended him and testified to him and and kind of staked his own uh, self on Paul and what the Lord was doing with him. He was a true friend to Paul. He encouraged him. Uh, He really was the one who got him going. So, uh, And I think about Mike Bradshaw kind of played that role for me. at that moment in my life, I was a young student, untried, untrusted, you know, a, a nobody. Uh, but he gave me an opportunity. He believed in me. He let me have some freedom to experiment in uh, ministry with these kids and, and, uh, and try out some different things. And he gave me that, that trust. He, he fed me out that rope, said, go with it. Go as far as you need to. So I'm thinking about your own walk of faith as we go to the next question here. Um, you know, who has walked with you? So far, both those other questions I asked you were, were kind of just personal, individualized questions about your own journey, but I know that there's been people along the way who have walked with you, who have encouraged you, who have been a Barnabas to you. So, you know, uh, who has walked with you? Who has encouraged you? Who has called you out when you were in the wrong? Is there somebody that you would really point to and say, yeah, this person, uh, you know, really uh, in terms of my faith development was a person who always, uh, I always looked to, I always Thought of as a mentor or as an encourager in the faith. um, Who would that be? So, again, maybe just for a minute, uh, turn to the people right around you and and try to identify that person if you can think of them off the top of your head. Maybe you've had a chance just to think of that person. I hope there was. I mean, um, when we start to roll back through uh, grandparents, uh, maybe a pastor or a youth leader or a Sunday school teacher, or maybe even a a teacher at your elementary school or someone that uh, the faith then uh, the love of Jesus or sort of shown through to you. And you know, we start to think back about those people and realize none of us uh, has made this journey alone. We've had people who've walked with us, who've encouraged us, who have um, helped us get to where we are. Um, this summer, you had a, a first summer conversation as Mosaic. And I wasn't able to be at that, but I know that you reflected on the following questions. You know, what made Mosaic the community for you? Uh, What are Mosaic's best qualities? Uh, What part can you play in creating a community at Mosaic? Uh, Those questions are all about community and about specifically the community right here. For this morning, though, we're thinking about our own personal journey of faith. Uh, I'm now thinking about... um, you know, if we can look more broadly at, um, you know, our life as a whole uh, this morning. At the end of the day, you know, I, I always wonder, like, what, what is the narrative of my life? Or, or what ultimately will my life story be? And so, thinking about this last question here, uh, have you thought about a, a title for your spiritual journey? Uh, could you summarize your Christianity or your experience with it in a, in a movie or a book title? Uh, I've always kind of thought about that. You know, what would summarize up my life in terms of just a, a title or a phrase? Uh, I know that's kind of putting you on the spot there. Uh, but you know, I'd love to have you think about that for a moment. Uh, see what you can come up with as you think about your own life. What would you title it? And for this one, I, you know, I'd kind of love to, I'd kind of actually love to hear. <laughs> you know, I don't want to put anybody on the spot. Did anybody think of a title for their life? You don't have to explain it necessarily. Uh, you know, it could be Conan the Barbarian, and, you know, we'd just, we'd leave it at that, I guess, but uh, um, can you think of something? Yeah, Jeff? Uh, Forrest Gump. <laughs> like that. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a real movie, but, but yeah, you could, you could use a real title. Uh-huh. Related to a lot of what he went through as a young child. Yeah. I have a young know, people not just kind of take my you home. It's all through elementary, stuff, I was you know had to get used to getting had eye on my war glasses. So back then he's you got know, four eyes, and so that oh, yeah. you know. So I related to him that part. I lost my mom early. My mom died in age two. So I went through the there was a lot of up and down ups and down his life I Yeah. Definitely yeah. Yeah. That's a good that's a good connection there. Um, mm-hmm. well, anybody else want to share what they would title their life if they could? <laughs> if you had the chance to. The life of Cleveland and his troubles. The life of and his troubles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just do something simple, the life. You thinking of a series of unfortunate events? Of unfortunate events. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> lemony snicket. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, yeah. Anyone else want to share? Uh, How uh, is it days and confused. Confuse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yeah, it it doesn't have to be real, but yeah, that one is a real one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's good. Cool. Anyone else want to share now? The River Wild. Wild. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good you know as we think about um, these conversations we've been having this summer about the nature of community and, and then also thinking about our own personal journey of faith um, I want us to think more about the way those two things can intersect and do intersect um, hopefully the two meet and nourish and improve each other that each of us is on our own journey in some sense we're on our own pilgrimage we're, we're on our own walk Uh, But of course, we get to walk together. We get to go as a group. Uh, Each person has to walk on their own, but you can walk together. And and in many ways, that's what what we are as a church. That's what we are as a people of God. We're people who get to walk together for a time and encourage each other and build each other up and help each other along. And, And that's a beautiful thing. This morning, we're going to respond with a song together, the Old Rugged Cross. I'm going to offer a word of benediction before we leave. Uh, But at this time, I want us just to pause for a moment in prayer. Whatever your journey has been, I want to take this opportunity to just hand it over to the Lord and say, you know, whatever has happened in your life, for good or for bad, uh, we can give it to God. We can let go of it. And we can say, Lord, Have your way with it. Will you pray with me? Lord, you have made us fearfully and wonderfully. We are the sheep of your pasture. We are the work of your hands. Lord, you are the potter and we are the clay. And we realize that we're on a journey. We're not there yet. We're on the way. God, I pray that all those things that have happened so far in this walk, we can turn over to you with gladness and with joy and sometimes with forgiveness and with a sense of relief. Knowing that we are not defined ultimately by our past. We are defined by you. into your hands, we want to commit our spirits in our story. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to move forward in that story and move forward together as a people. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.